Welcome back to the Monday Morning Point Guard Podcast. On today's episode, going to be discussing the Miami Heat's offseason. It was a pretty soul-crushing way to lose in Game 7 like that, but I just want to discuss some of the ideas that are being tossed around out there in terms of finally getting this team over the hump. If you do enjoy the podcast, please be sure and rate it as well as follow us. Also, if there's a spot that you agree with, disagree with, you can either reach out to us on YouTube or on Twitter, and we'd love to discuss it with you. I'm still emotionally recovering from that game seven loss. It's just going to sting for a really long time because I, I really thought that this was going to be the year. I'm still incredibly proud of the fight and resilience that this group displayed all season. But after the dust settled on the regular season and the seeding was established with the way that this Eastern Conference bracket broke down, I knew we were pretty much going to be a guaranteed shoe-in for the conference finals, and I felt really good about our chances in any of the potential conference finals matchups, with the exception of one, the Boston Celtics. The Heat, throughout this Jimmy Butler era, have struggled with one thing that's strong defensive teams that have superior length and athleticism, and that's pretty much what the Celtics are. Of course, the absolute onslaught of injuries that we had to contend with did not help our chances at all. So even though as Heat fans, we can be sad about the way it ended, we still need to give this coaching staff, this front office, and of course the players their flowers for another excellent season. Next Man Up is a cliche often used in sports, but it really rang true for this Heat group. Lowry, Bam, Jimmy, Arguably the Heat's three most important players, or at least entering the season, were expected to be the three most important players for this team. All missed significant time, but this group of undrafted and overlooked players just continued to outplay expectations time after time. And no matter who was in the lineup, this team just continued to win games throughout the regular season. We're just extremely spoiled as Heat fans, and thus many of us feel the need to kind of point fingers find someone to blame for that game seven loss. And with that has come some pretty hot takes. I've seen a lot of people blame Jimmy Butler for taking that three down the stretch of game seven, stating he's a poor three point shooter. He had nothing but Al Horford in between him and the basket. Now, sure. Both of those things are true in a vacuum, but I think if you boil that decision down to Jimmy in space versus a big guy, you're missing a lot of key context there. I think first and foremost, the idea that Jimmy Butler is going to easily cook Al Horford there isn't a given. Horford has held up extremely well on the perimeter throughout this postseason. He gave Giannis all he wanted during that Bucks series. And when he's been switched on to guards, he holds up really well. His switchability is one of the major reasons the Celtics defense is so potent. So I don't think Jimmy getting an easy basket there is a given by any means. Also, Jimmy and the Heat in general really weren't getting calls when they were attacking the basket throughout that series. So Jimmy probably knew that unless Horford went for the suplex, he likely wasn't going to get the call with that little time left. And then the last thing I want to bring up, Jimmy Butler had carried the Heat in both game six and game seven. He played 46 minutes in game six and all 48 in game seven, where he was receiving very little help from his teammates. Now, sure, Butler's conditioning is world-class, but it's doubtful that he was going to have enough in the tank for an overtime period. So he elected to go for the kill shot, and it was still a really good look. And as a side note, I felt like that was going in. I was fully prepared to flip the coffee table over, dance around the living room like an idiot, but it just didn't go down. 
So was it the right decision to go for that three? Maybe, maybe not. But I think it's really unfair to say that that was the thing that cost us the game because A, we aren't even in the game without Jimmy Butler. And B, I don't think it was a given that he either scores or gets fouled or both if he goes to the basket in that scenario. The other person I see getting blamed a lot is Eric Spolster. And it's just the classic cliche of let's blame the coach and not really think too much about what happened. Now, as far as Spolstra's blame piece, the thing that I've seen kind of tossed around the most is the game seven rotation. And while I didn't agree with everything that he did, I can at least see the reasoning behind some of the decisions that were made. I don't think that going into game seven, the plan was to play Jimmy Butler the entire game. But since we dug ourselves into such a hole at the start of the game, it left Spolstra with very little choice and very little margin for error. That slow start just had a trickle down effect that really limited our options moving forward in that game. When things go bad offensively for us at the start of games, Spolstra usually goes to hero early because he can give us instant offense and these quick spurts. But coming off of the groin injury, it was just clear that he wasn't quite right. He didn't seem to have his balance. He wasn't really able to get his legs under him on the, on the few shots that he did attempt. It's just a lot to ask for a young player like him to enter a game seven hurt and rusty from having not played in a few games. And because we were in such a hole to start things out, Spolster just couldn't afford to be patient and let him kind of work his way back in and figure it out. We didn't have time to wait for Hero to shake off the rust or see what version we were going to get of him coming off that injury. Then because Spolster wasn't able to get, get him going in the first half, I don't think that we felt comfortable bringing him in again down the stretch of that game seven. The Caleb Martin DMP was also something I saw questioned. And I think the reason he was a DMP was just the lack of shooting that he brings to the table. Sure, he can make a three here and there, but he just isn't the type of guy that the defense is going to worry about. So that's just going to be more bodies in Jimmy and Bam's way when they're trying to attack the basket. Also, Jalen Brown had it going that game, and Oladipo had given Brown fits all series long. So Oladipo really gobbled up any potential Caleb Martin minutes. P.J. Tucker didn't play a ton, I think sort of for the same reasons as Martin. Also, Bam played heavy minutes in that game, so there really wasn't room to go to the P.J. at the five in, in terms of the rotation. And to me, I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but he just didn't look quite right moving around in that game seven. The reality is we were just really banged up, and there weren't a ton of options at Spoh's disposal for that game seven. And like I mentioned with Jimmy Butler, we aren't in that position without Spolstra. He's one of, if not the best coach in the league. And after game five, we looked like we were dead in the water. But he got everyone to buy in again and believe again. And then just from a macro picture, this is one of the least talented rosters in the league in terms of raw talent. It's like the Isle of Misfit Toys, just a bunch of undrafted journeymen who were either discarded or outright ignored by other teams that this staff has painstakingly developed into really competent players. The list of teams that can pull that off is just extremely short. We have maybe the Spurs, maybe the Warriors. So I'm just really hesitant to blame a staff when I know that if we took any other coaching staff in the league, we aren't likely going to be the first seed and likely don't advance to the conference finals with the roster that we have. 
Now, it might seem like an injury-riddled conference finals team who was just one game away from the finals should, it seems like they should just run it back. And it might even seem like I'm advocating for that. But in the Heat's case, I don't think that that would be the right move. Jimmy Butler will be 33 at the start of next season. And this season, he really started to show some real signs of wear and tear. He missed 25 regular season games and missed a couple of playoff games. Kyle Lowry, he's going to be 37 by the time the playoffs roll around next season. And he had to play on one leg throughout this season's playoff run. Tucker was relatively healthy, sure. But at 37, can we rely on him continually for big minutes and tough defensive assignments? I'm just not sure. Oladipo, in the case that we bring him back, he's going to be 30. And since 2018, he's played just a 100 regular season games. That's in four years, he's played the equivalent of one regular season plus a playoff run. So I think it would be a little naive to think that any one of those four guys are going to be more healthy next season or moving forward in their careers than they were for this season and this playoff run. Also, this was year three of this Jimmy Butler era, and if you really think about it, the template has pretty much been the same throughout this whole era. Aging veteran point guard, either Kyle Lowry or Goran Dragic. You have sharpshooter, either Duncan Robinson or Max Strews. Then you have Jimmy Butler, undersized stretch four, either PJ, Crowder, or Ariza. At center, it's been Bam. Hero's been the scoring punch off the bench. And then you have a defensive wing who can't really shoot in either Iguodala, Caleb Martin, or Oladipo. And then a warm body for backup center, either Dwayne Dedman or Olenek. So even though many of the players that we have with this current group are improvements on even what we saw during the finals run in the bubble, the structure of this team has pretty much been the same over the last three seasons. Now, obviously, to make it to the playoffs three years in a row with a finals appearance and a conference finals appearance, obviously, that's really impressive. So I don't think that we need to scrap the whole thing and enter a rebuild. But it's clear that we just don't have quite enough to get over the top. So some changes are going to be needed. Now, how significant those changes are is just another thing entirely. I've seen many Heat fans pushing for us to move Bam to the power forward and either start Yurt 7 or trade for a star low post player like Joel Embiid or DeAndre Ayton. And firstly, there's no chance, zero chance that the 76ers are trading Joel Embiid to us, barring him demanding a trade to the Heat. He seems really happy there, and he's really embraced that city. So I don't think he's going to be demanding a trade. And without that, the 76ers are absolutely not moving him. But just in general, I think pairing Bam with a slow, lumbering, non-shooting big guy is a horrible idea. I've talked about it before, but here's why. First and foremost, obviously spacing. It's nearly impossible to run an offense in today's league without it, and Bam is just not good enough of a shooter to keep a defense honest. Sure, teams like the Bucks, Celtics, Grizzlies, they've had success with two big lineups, but all three of those teams that I just mentioned have at least one big guy who's a threat from the three-point line. The Bucs have Brooke Lopez, the Celtics have Al Horford, and the Grizzlies have Triple J. Also, none of the teams that I just mentioned have a non-shooting perimeter player to the degree of Jimmy Butler. So if the Heat did this, they'd effectively have three non-shooters on the court. Jimmy, Bam, and either Yurt7 or pick your big guy. Now, sure, 
Yurt and Bam, they've shown some shooting touch over the over the years here, but for now, they're just kind of theoretical shooters. So I don't really want to bank the team building strategy around something that either of those guys may never develop. Specific to the Yurt 7 and Bam pairing, I've heard the argument that both of those guys can shoot the mid-range, so spacing would be fine. I have several problems with that. These are elite athletes in the NBA, and rarely are you getting a wide open three off of drive and kick action. The difference between getting a shot off and not getting a shot off is mere fractions of a second from the three-point line. So if you give defenders less space to cover, that means they can help more aggressively in the paint and clog driving lanes, which means no easy layups and less free throws. So much of Jimmy's scoring production comes at the line and if he's going to have to drive through a crowd of defenders every time he tries to go to the hoop, he's just not going to get calls. It's the same with Bam. He needs room to operate in the paint with the, so he can get those jump hooks and pull up jumpers off. So you can kiss that goodbye if there's going to be two to three defenders around the basket every time, no matter what. Also, can shoot the mid-range might be a bit of a stretch for both Yurt 7 and Bam. They're both really inefficient from that range. So Building an offense around two players taking shots they aren't very good at and taking a shot that's the least efficient shot in basketball, that just isn't a recipe for success. On the other side of the ball, defense, it really doesn't make much sense here either. Yurt 7 just isn't quite there from what I've seen defensively. He can really be a negative on that end at times. Sure, he has the potential to be a good defender, but he's just not quite there yet. Also, one of Miami's biggest weapons defensively is their switchability. So putting your seven out there to just get picked on completely negates that and gives the defense another person that they're going to be able to hunt for. Outside of just adding another mismatch for the defense to exploit, it also takes away a lot of what makes Bam so special defensively. Sure, he could still be an anchor if he's paired with Yurt 7 out there, but teams would be running Yurt 7 in their pick and rolls versus Bam. Bam's ability to guard one through five and lock down the opposing team's guards would be totally taken away with Yurt 7 out there, and it would basically turn Bam into nothing more than a help side defender. So forgive me if I'm not jumping up and down for a big guy pairing with Bam as a solution. Now, sure, if we get a three-point shooting threat, at the center spot, who can also hold up defensively, someone like Miles Turner. I think that could theoretically work. On paper, the Turner-Bam thing makes some sense to me, but I'm still a little bit skeptical of how that would actually work out just because Indiana never really figured that out in terms of the fit between Turner and Sabonis. Offensively, both Sabonis and Bam are used very similarly as playmaking hubs. So if that didn't work out offensively in Indy, why would it work out for us? Also, just generally speaking, we have very limited resources this offseason in terms of trade assets and movable contracts. So I think we have bigger needs in other departments that we need to address rather than just pushing the chips in for another big guy. Now, I do totally agree that we need a more viable option off the bench at that center spot. Dwayne Dedman was a complete train wreck throughout the playoff run, so it's clear that this is an area of need. I don't think it's a 30 to 40 minute a night area of need, but a 10 to 15 minute or 20 minutes during the regular season, basically just when Bam isn't in the game, that's the type of player that we need to find. 
So I just don't think that we need to move heaven and earth to clear the cap room to acquire like a Yusef Nurkic or a DeAndre Aiden via free agency. Guys like JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, Robin Lopez, maybe even Serge Ibaka, depending on how much money he's expecting. Just someone that can hold it down and eat up some minutes when Bam is out. That's that's all we need. Now, it's likely we already have that guy on the roster in Omer Yurt 7, and I really like him, so I'd be happy to have him as that backup center. But in the case where he gets shipped off in a trade or just to add some extra depth, those names I just mentioned, I think those would all be really good options. What we really need is some scoring punch slash some shot creation, particularly in the starting lineup. And if you think about that Boston series, we just were constantly getting out to these really slow starts offensively. And we had no way of getting things going with the starting lineup. And just in general, throughout the year and throughout the playoff run, we had a lot of trouble stopping the bleeding when the opposing team went on a run or down the stretch of games and crunch time, our offense could just come to this screeching halt. I think going forward, we could just no longer be Jimmy or bust. Sure, Jimmy Butler's a great player, but it can't all be on his shoulders every night. Game six and game seven of that Celtics series were proof of that. Now, in order to remedy that, it seems like we are rumored to be in the market for basically every star player in the league, but I think the Donovan Mitchell rumors have some truth to them. Now, based on the finances, it could either be something like Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero with picks for Mitchell, or it could be something like Duncan Robinson, Hero, Yurt Seven, Strews, P.J. Tucker with picks for Donovan Mitchell. Of course, P.J. is going to have to take the player option in order to make that work. And for the Jazz piece of this, I tend to think they're going to be more interested in that latter deal, that Duncan Robinson deal. If the Jazz decide to trade Donovan Mitchell, they're entering a full rebuild tear down whatever you want to call it so i just don't think that they have a need for or for kyle lowry and it's going to be a lot easier to flip guys like pj tucker and duncan robinson from a jazz perspective rather than kyle lowry now before i get into things on the heat side let me just state that i'm a huge tyler hero stand so take everything that i'm about to say with a grain of salt but I'm actually a little skeptical of a potential Donovan Mitchell move. I was just really alarmed by what I saw from Mitchell this postseason. He was pretty much a turnstile defensively, and offensively, he just settled for way too many bad shots. Now, a shot-creating defensive liability who has some sometimes questionable shot selection, that starts to sound an awful lot like Tyler Hero. And obviously, I think and I know that Donovan Mitchell is a much better player than Tyler Hero. It isn't particularly close in my mind, but my point is, and my point of this argument is, I'm not sure that it's the best use of our limited resources and assets to go for this swing for the fences type move with Donovan Mitchell, when I think we have a cheaper guy on the roster who can do a decent Donovan Mitchell impression. So here are the regular season numbers side by side at age 22. And even if we switch Mitchell's numbers to this past season's numbers, you aren't seeing a huge increase in production on the Mitchell side when you consider his shot volume versus Tyler Hero. Shot volume aside, look at the touch numbers. Is it inconceivable that with the same opportunities, the same amount of touches that we could get similar production, maybe not equal, but similar production from hero compared to what we see from donovan mitchell i don't think that's out of the question at all 
And I already hear what you're saying. Tyler Hero came off the bench and went against the second unit, guys. Sure, that's somewhat true. But Hero also did a ton of his damage closing games in the fourth quarter, going up against other teams' closing lineups. Also, Hero at least tries defensively. He makes strong contests a lot of the times, but just physically, strength-wise, it just doesn't matter whether he contests the shot or not most times. So maybe when he starts to bulk up a little bit more with age, it starts to look a little bit better defensively. But if I want to play devil's advocate with Donovan Mitchell, I'm willing to concede that Mitchell could look and should look a lot more efficient in an offensive perspective when he's playing alongside Jimmy Butler versus Mike Conley on the perimeter. And then for the defensive and shot selection perspective, I don't want to overreact to what I saw this season from Utah because based on everything that I'm hearing, Donovan Mitchell is pretty unhappy in Utah right now. So he's fully capable of being a good defensive player. So maybe with a change of scenery, all of those issues and warts that I've seen could be remedied on their own. And once again, I want to reiterate as big of a fan as I am of Tyler hero. I understand Donovan Mitchell is a far better player. My whole point for this argument is If we decide to go with Donovan Mitchell, this is the move. This is the only move that we get. It's just going to completely back us into a corner financially and contract-wise. So whatever the team is entering the season after we pull this move off, that's the team we're going to have moving forward. It's a little bit like what the Lakers experienced this year, albeit I think the Heat would have a lot more success. But just it would just be a few high salary players that either can't be moved or if you did decide to try and move them you would be downgrading and just no draft picks so for me is completely gutting this roster moving half of your starting lineup plus key role players and our remaining draft picks is that going to be worth it for donovan mitchell when we have tyler hero slotted to make something like five million dollars next season who I think can do a somewhat reasonable Donovan Mitchell impression in terms of production. I'm just not sure that that makes a lot of sense. I don't think that in this scenario, it gets us any closer to a title than we are today. The 76ers this season are like the perfect example of what I'm afraid of, of gutting our depth and becoming like this really star dependent team. And If you think about the 76ers this year and just eliminate Ben Simmons, just pretend he didn't exist because he was never going to play for the 76ers this year. So from the team they had at the beginning of the year versus the one they had come playoff time, just losing guys like Seth Curry and Andre Drummond really hurt their depth. It put for the Drummond piece specifically, it put so much more pressure on Embiid where he had to shoulder an even greater load and he just, fell apart come playoff time so the heat will be giving up significantly more in terms of their core players to make a donovan mitchell move so i'm just fearful of what that's going to look like with an older roster come playoff time next season now if we were filling an obvious hole on the team like we didn't have a guy who could fill in for that shot creation scoring punch if we, we just had no one in that slot I would be a lot more willing to consider this deal or I'd be a lot more on board with it less skeptical because I'm not just outright against it by any means but I think it's it's just it's tough for me to get on board with it when it's not an obvious hole that we already have an undersized guard who can create his own shot and create shots for others we already have one of those so gutting the roster just isn't worth it to me to get 
a slightly upgraded version of something that we already have. If the Heat do decide to go this route, I'm totally fine with that. If they decide to gut the roster and grab Donovan Mitchell, I trust this front office. They've shown that they are as good or better than any team in the league at finding those diamonds in the rough out there to round out the roster. But for me, this move is talked about as if it's a guaranteed way to get us to the next level as title contenders. I think it very well could get us to the next level as a team, but to talk as if it's a guarantee, I I just can't get on board with that. I'm not even sure that it improves the team, much less gets us to a title. If I were in charge, I would just move Tyler Hero into the starting lineup for next season and look to use that Duncan Robinson and or Kyle Lowry contract to make a move to get an upgrade in that P.J. Tucker spot. And I love P.J. Tucker. He's one of my favorite Heat players of all time. So in no way is this an indictment on him. But at his age, I would just feel a lot better with him either coming off the bench or just playing a more limited role. If we decide to just trade Duncan Robinson with some picks, plus maybe throwing your seven in there, that would put us in position to get some really helpful guys, guys like Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Grant, Jonathan Isaac, OG Ananobi, who I hear may want out of Toronto. Even a guy like Kyle Kuzma could be really good for us. Of those guys I just mentioned, I think the Kings are going to be pretty hesitant to move off of Harrison Barnes since they seem all in to make the play in. Also for the Jonathan Isaac piece, I'm just not sure if I want to bank on him being healthy. Although if he is able to come back 100%, we would undoubtedly have the best defensive team in the league with two players who are fully capable of being the defensive player of the year. Jeremy Grant, he's perfect on paper, but in reality, I'm not sure how that would look. He said multiple times that wherever he ends up, he wants to be the man wherever he goes. So do I think that he would be happy as a fourth option in Miami? That's doubtful to me, since that's the big reason that he left Denver for Detroit. So for me, that kind of leaves Duncan Robinson for either OG Ananobi or Kyle Kuzma. I think either would be great fits. OG is still relatively young. He's only going to be 25 next year, and he's a good enough shooter to continue to space the floor. He's also shown an ability to get his own shots, but at the same time, he's not going to dominate the ball too much. Kuzma looked really good this season once he got out of LeBron's shadow. He isn't quite the shooter that Ananobi is in my mind, but he's still good enough that the defense just can't completely leave him alone out there. And he's a much better rebounder than Ananobi. The price for OG might be too high for us to acquire him, but I think we could easily acquire Kyle Kuzma for Duncan Robinson and maybe a first round pick or two. Washington is either going to be entering a full-on rebuild, should be a leave, or if he re-signs, they're going to be looking to go all in to acquire a star player to play alongside Beal. So in either case, they could use the draft picks that we would be providing them. So if we did that Duncan deal, Duncan plus picks, or Duncan and Yurt 7 plus picks, our team could be Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, pick your power forward that I just mentioned, and Bam Adebayo. And then we still have guys like Struess, Gabe Vincent, P.J. Tucker coming off the bench. And I really tried to find a move that I liked for Kyle Lowry, but there just aren't that many outside of the big splash for Spida Mitchell or Levine in the sign-and-trade type scenario, which would also include Tyler Hero. And sure, 
Kyle, he's a great floor general, and the team absolutely and undoubtedly plays better when he's out there on the floor. But even before the playoff struggles, he had a pretty pedestrian regular season when compared to the expectations that we had when we signed him. So I was fully prepared to move off of him. But after that playoff run and after looking around the league for a potential move, I just don't know that I found a realistic one that I like. And he certainly isn't the type of player that I want to just give away or just try to get the money off the books by sending him to like something like Oklahoma City with a pick. Speaking of Oklahoma City, there's maybe some type of Shea Gilgis Alexander for Kyle Lowry move, but I doubt that we have the amount of draft picks that it would take for us to go from Kyle Lowry to Shea. Other than that, for some somewhat realistic moves, we'd be looking at something like De'Aaron Fox, some a swap there. But I think that isn't really helping us given Fox's shooting woes. Maybe the Nets are just completely fed up with the Kyrie situation. Once upon a time, Kyrie wanted to come to Miami. So maybe they want a more reliable in terms of showing up for work player in Kyle Lowry. But I still think that's pretty doubtful. There's also Gordon Hayward and Tobias Harris for the Hayward piece. I think I would rather take the risk for a guy like Jonathan Isaac and just giving up Duncan Robinson, who we aren't really using anyway, um, than I would swapping out Kyle Lowry for Gordon Hayward from an injury risk perspective. And for the Tobias Harris piece, I think he's become a bit underrated. I've been kind of shopping him everywhere for teams that don't have a ton of draft capital that also want to kind of cash in for a star player. It just seems like Philly is hell bent on just getting him out of the building, but I don't know that they're going to want Kyle Lowry when they already have Tyrese Maxey and maybe Harden. It's doubtful, but if they do end up doing some type of sign and trade with James Harden where they're shipping him out the door and they have a hole at point guard, I think they would be interested in getting Kyle Lowry. For the Heat's perspective, if he's our third or fourth option, I think he would look really good in that role. And this is a pretty decent free agent class as far as point guards go. So I think we could find enough via free agency combined with what we already have on the roster playmaking wise with guys like Gabe Vincent, Tyler Hero and Oladipo should we decide to bring him back that I think we can kind of cobble together enough at point guard to make it work. Guys like Ricky Rubio, DeLon Wright, maybe even Tyus Jones, if we can find some way to pay him. I think even a reunion with Goran Dragic would really work there in the situation that we end up moving off of Kyle Lowry. Now, I'm leaning more towards that Kyle Kuzma, Jeremy Grant, that Duncan Robinson trade for a wing player as opposed to the Kyle Lowry for Tobias Harris type swap. Pretty much for the same reasons that I'm skeptical of the Donovan Mitchell trade. I'm just not sure that the upgrade from Kyle Kuzma or someone like that to Tobias Harris is going to make up for the fact that it's costing us Kyle Lowry. Last thing I want to touch on is just the guys who were on this past year's team who could potentially be free agents. And let's get the obvious ones out of the way. Max Struess and Gabe Vincent both have team options for less than $2 million. So that's a no brainer to me. Bring them back. Caleb Martin is a guy that I would like to bring back and same with Victor Oladipo. But if both of those guys are wanting North of like $7 million per year, I think you have to let one of them walk. I think Martin is likely going to be wanting that five to $8 million a year range. And Oladipo, I have no idea what he's expecting. If Oladipo wants to take another one of those prove it type deals, that's a no brainer, bring him back. But if he's wanting something 10 million and up for like three or four years. I, that's a hard pass for me. 
at this stage, he's shown just only flashes of what he once was. And he has definitely not proven that he can be healthy for long stretches. So I just wouldn't be willing to make a big commitment to him. Unlike the point guard class, this free agency wing class is really weak. So someone might be inclined to really break the bank to either get Oladipo or Caleb Martin. Now, I know Heat fans are ready for a big splash this offseason, but this team is two seasons removed from a finals appearance. And this past season, they were one Jimmy Butler shot away from a trip to the finals. In either of those series, if we have better injury luck, maybe things turn out differently. So let's not completely overreact. It's clear that we need to make some somewhat significant changes to take the next steps as a franchise, but to completely blow up this team, that just doesn't seem like the way to go to me. As Heat fans, we're extremely spoiled to have a front office that we can trust. So whatever they end up deciding to do, I'm really confident that it's going to be the best move for this franchise.